Welcome to episode number 283 of Destination Linux, a Tux digital podcast. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Ryan. I'm Jill. And I'm Michael. On this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be talking about IDE monopolization. Is it going to be an issue that we're going to have to deal with here in the future? Then we're going to be discussing Thunderbird going mobile. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. This week in our community feedback, we have feedback from Duncan. And if you want to send in your own feedback, go to tuxdigital.com slash contact to get in touch. Or you could join the Tux Digital community forum by going to tuxdigital.com and clicking on the forum link at the top of the page. Duncan says, I've been using Linux twice as long as Ryan, but probably only know half as much as him so far. That's really nice. I doubt that's the case because I feel like I'm constantly way behind probably everybody else case. myself, but... That's pretty awesome. Uh, you guys plus Wendy have been really helpful. A lot of information your show includes can be hard to search for anywhere else. The learning curve has been a lot steeper lately and can't get past all of the awesome humor. I've settled on Garuda KDE. I'm not much of a gamer. It just works well for me. I'm writing this from an old Galaxy S9 I pulled out of the drawer and flashed with EOS that was mentioned. I've worked with custom Android firmware a lot over the years, but I've been really impressed with EOS so far. Kind regards, Duncan. So for me, I want to start with the choice of Garuda, which is just so unique and amazing in its own. Jill, are you still running Garuda on one of your machines? Yeah, I got it on my laptop right behind me. My yeah, I, laptop. I love it. See, I think one of the reasons why uh, I was able to learn a lot of things quickly was number one, surrounding myself with Michael, Jill, the rest of mm -hmm. the community and hearing what they were talking about and then going and researching that stuff. But also the distro hopping here helped me. I would distro hop a lot. I, Michael still mm -hmm. thinks I distro hop a lot because he only tries one distro every six years, but I still Correct. distro hop, not, <laughs> but just not as often. But that did really help me learn a lot of things uh, with Linux and using something like Garuda KDE, which I would say is more of kind of a mid-tier level of difficulty because um, you're still maintaining the arch and you could still have those breaks that happen in arch at times and things is a really good choice, uh, especially if you're not talking about a production machine that you're worried about. So Garuda is just awesome. It's got a lot of amazing features out there and EOS. Michael and I have been talking about this a lot we really want to pick one of these phones that are have come out and an operating system and see if we can survive on it. And I have very different requirements than Michael does because I work for a big corporation that I have to have access to certain apps and things like that too, to see if there is, if they've come far enough along that I could still use some of the stuff from the play store without maybe directly having an account uh, that I have to use from the play store. And then the rest of my apps be using completely fully open source so this is something we're working on too. You're a little ahead of us actually there because you've already got it flashed on a phone and using it. And it's pretty awesome to hear that you're impressed with it, especially if you've got so much experience with other custom Android firmware, because that kind of gives me more hope. We might be able to be successful in this challenge that we're talking about doing, Michael. Oh yeah, the EOS thing is something I'm, I'm looking forward to doing. And uh, I want to check out their Merino One phone or, yeah. or if not, just anything that we can like get off, get our hands on and then be able to put EOS on it. I think I might have one phone 
that supports it, but I have to recheck because they have a uh, they have a full list on their website for those who are curious about trying it themselves and see if you have a device that works with it. And I, I think that there's a lot of potential with it, and the fact that it has most of like what makes Android good, but none of the nonsense that makes Android annoying. That sounds really, really good. So I definitely right. check it out. Uh, and also, you're talking about Garuda. I think Garuda is a really good distribution. The thing is about that is that it functionally like has a lot of cool ideas and the ButterFS stuff and the Pipewire stuff that they're doing on Arc yeah. is really cool. The thing about for me is that that the the sweet uh, UI like the 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 sweet theme is what they use on their their interface, and it's it's really nice, but it's also like very specific to a preference. If you don't like yeah. that preference, it's going to be completely like kind of wonky for you. So you might want to go in and change the themes. And once I did that, I liked Groot a little bit more because I, I like a more simplistic approach to the Yay. look of it. So, I mean, it's it's really cool that they did that and they, did, they went something, you know, unique. And that's kind of rare sometimes. And it was just really cool to see that. So I think Garuda has a lot of potential but uh, I still prefer Fedora because, as you said, I have only been on it for like two years now, and I still have four years left before I can switch. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what I like is he's trying different things out here, and that's how you're going to learn. Like, you've had the experience of running Arch full-time. You've had the experience of running Ubuntu's and yep. Fedora's and all of that stuff, and you got that by distro hopping at some point and trying those things out. And so I think right. this is a good method. You don't have to stick with anything in Linux. That's the awesome part. We have choice. We could go from Garuda to Fedora or anything else. But I think you've got to try all the flavors. And even experienced people, I challenge them to go back and try things that they had judged before. Mm -hmm. We've talked about Absolutely. this with Fedora a million yeah. times where I remember trying Fedora back in the day. And it was like, there was no way I would ever put that on a machine. It was just such mm -hmm. a terrible experience when I was new into Linux. Today, Fedora is completely different. But if I was one of those individuals, and I see this a lot in the community, that stuck to this idea that, well, Fedora was bad once for me six years ago, so it must be today too, then I would never have come back and really realized how amazing Fedora has become. So, And not yeah. to give Ryan too much credit, but <laughs> I had a similar experience with Fedora specifically where I I was like, well, I've tried it in the past and I don't really want to you know, try it again. And then... I'm thinking back with the little Ryan on my shoulder, like, have you tried it recently? Have you tried it recently? Sh shut up, Ryan. Yes, I'll do it. Okay. Gosh. <laughs> was so that I a recreation? <laughs> or was I really just on your shoulder right then? I felt like that was really authentic. You know, like, it, it, it's probably both. Yeah. You know, I That's think. pretty awesome. But <laughs> my thing about distro hopping <laughs> is that I have, there's nothing wrong with it. And people shouldn't look at me not doing it as a sign to not, you shouldn't do it. It's because I've been using Linux for so for long. So long. We've that gotten that kind of, out of your yeah, system. Yeah, I've yeah. tried it. I've done it many, many times. Like Ryan talked yeah. about, I've tried all the different distros and I, I ran Arch for years. I ran Ubuntu for years. But because I've been in it for over 20 years, I've had plenty of time to try everything. And at this point, I just kind of don't want to go through the process. It's not that I don't have interest in a lot of these distros. I mean, we cover a bunch of distros on the show and there's a lot of stuff I want to try. I just don't get time to do it because it's like, oh, I don't want to reset up everything I've already done. Whereas yeah. Ryan's solution is actually kind of, I'm not going to say genius, but it's... A, oh, it's there's it's, that word again. I, well, I, not, not, I'm not, I didn't say that. I just said I'm not going to say genius, but like, you know, somewhat close to a good idea mm -hmm. of just setting it with the defaults. That way you don't have to do anything when you switch. Hey, <laughs> I use the distros the way the, way the developers Aww. intended, the way the developers created them. But you know what's interesting about this too is 
the phone area. You talked about 20 years experience on the desktop, but the phone is something that it's finally getting to the point where I think we can look at adopting these alternatives onto our phones. And so now all of us have this new experience of going to be hopping probably between different phone options out there to see which one could fit our particular workload. So I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah. This is going to be really fun. Actually, I've done uh, so many of the different mods for Android, and yeah. I've even done Open Web OS, just Web OS. Uh, UB ports. I- I've done I've done them all, but it'll be nice to get back into doing those so with all the new updates and everything. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Duncan, for sending in your feedback. You got us all thinking here. All of us have still tons, no matter what your experience level, to learn. That's actually one of the things that drew me to Linux to begin with. It's like an yeah. endless adventure of learning Absolutely. out there. So thank you for sending that in. Absolutely. And if you want a great cloud adventure, you can check out our sponsor for this episode, and that's DigitalOcean. So get started by going to do.co slash tux2022. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of storage, compute, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Also, DigitalOcean has predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. And one of the things I love is their marketplace where you can quickly and easily set up new droplets with a variety of different software already set to go. It's just fantastic. Plus, you can get support at every stage of growth from teams of one person to teams of a thousand people. With DigitalOcean's simple, simple, powerful cloud computing, you can get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. It's actually better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. You know, true story about DigitalOcean, this was a huge, huge help to me learning Linux because of the ability to quickly drop a droplet and yeah. be able to test something out, like setting up a mumble server, setting up uh, IRC, setting whatever it was I was doing at the time. You could do all of that. And if you made a mistake, like there were sometimes I remember really messing up a server because I didn't, I like skipped part of a tutorial or the tutorial wasn't complete or something happened. I could just destroy the droplet, create a new one real quick and start over. And that allowed me. And sometimes even when I create a server and I was done, I would kill it and then recreate it so that it would get in my head that I know how to do this by, you know, instinctually instead of having to follow the tutorial so closely. And they have thousands of cloud agnostic tutorials out there for DigitalOcean. So I really mean this, like take that $100 free credit they're giving you, use that to, if you're really interested in learning a lot of things about Linux and start creating some servers and dropping some things, you're going to learn a ton doing that and just following some of the tutorials they have out there, which is an awesome way to learn Linux. So getting into our main topic, I saw something in the news this week that made me sad because we had an episode back where we were talking about IDEs. And this was kind of the episode where Michael convinced me how good Sublime Text is or whatever. We don't need to get into that. But one of the things I was using at the time that I really enjoyed was Atom. And Atom is being sunset. 
and it's basically going to go away, which we can get into a little bit here of what happened because Adam wasn't supposed to go away, at least initially when Microsoft bought GitHub. But it started making me think about the browser market. You know, we talk about on this show the monopolization that took place in the browser market, specifically with Chrome. And this giving Google immense power to kind of dictate the direction or even the standards of the internet because they have such a dominant platform. And that's why we push things like Firefox, even when Firefox isn't as fast or sometimes maybe Mozilla makes a silly decision. I still promote Firefox over other things just because of the fact that the risk of not having any competition here is just too high. I feel like the IDE world is about to head in that same direction. There is a similar trend taking place. You cannot find an article when you're searching for an IDE that does not discuss Visual Studio Code. In fact, if you think about it, even the developers we have on this show doing distros and other things often talk about how they use Visual Studio Code. Now, there are a ton of different browsers on the market still at this time, just like there was a time Jill, I know you talk about this fondly with Netscape and other things where there was tons of browsers on the market. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm wondering if that's going to dynamically change because in current surveys, like as of 2016, Visual Studio Code ranked number 13 among the most popular ones. 47,000 respondents, in that case, 7% of the market share. Two years later, however, they had 35% of the market share. Then in 2019, they had 50% of the market share. And now in 2021, over 70% of the market share. Adam, just for people's reference, had 13.3% of the market share uh, in 2021. So that kind of shows you it was pretty popular out there. But this is very interesting to me because I just feel like this is giving too much control to one company once again in the IDE thing. And Visual Studio Code is good. It's really good. But now that Adam's gone, what's the alternative? I think that what's really cool about, uh, the, like, as you mentioned earlier, su uh, Sublime Text, is that it's the best option. We'll get to that a little bit later. But <laughs> what? <laughs> there's also <laughs> other ones. There's other ones. I mean, we have things like uh, IntelliJ, <laughs> Genie, Kate, and there's, there's plenty of options. But what's interesting is that you talked about the uh, stats that were available uh, pre previously, but also for 2021. But also there's this, this, this uh, stats from Stack Overflow, and they asked all the developers on Stack Overflow what they used and kind of got like a breakdown of everybody who's, who uses Stack Overflow, which is a gigantic website for development. For those who don't know, they give you helps and you answer your questions when you go there. And there's a lot of people surprisingly using Notepad++ mm -hmm. for some reason. Like I know it's been around for a very long time and it was a really big editor for you know many years, but it also looks like it hasn't been updated in a decade. So it just kind of feels like that's kind of surprising to me that they have so much percentage, which is like 30% of the market. I mean, imagine you're in a college classroom, mm -hmm. right? And you've got two students next to you. You're new into this development world. Maybe you're taking courses in Linux development. Maybe you're just taking courses learning Python. And you look at the student on the right and you see Notepad++ and you see its <laughs> interface. Right. And then you look to the student to the left and you see Visual Studio Code they're using. And you're trying to decide which IDE you want to use. You go Notepad++. I mean, who doesn't love <laughs> 1997 visuals? I mean, of course. I mean, unless you just have a kick for nostalgia, 
You're not yeah. going to pick Notepad++. I don't see no. that. The interface is so horribly dated. It's just bad at this point. I think you're right, though, Ryan. It has something to do with the schools, because even when I was younger in schools, when the web was brand new and we were doing HTML co code, they wanted us to use Notepad. I'm like, oh, okay, no, I'm going to use Vim. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Vim's pretty high up on the stats for Stack Overflow as yeah. well, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and then mm -hmm. also we got IntelliJ in that list, and of course Sublime Text, Sublime. as I mentioned <laughs> before, is the is the best. But Sublime is not open source, and I think it, we have True. to mention that it's good. I'm not saying it has to be open source, but that's a consideration for a lot of people. I mean, Visual Studio Code is actually open source, and so it's just one of those things where, it, in this conversation, to me doesn't have to necessarily do with the fact that Microsoft owns it. That's not the only issue. I mean, my concern is Microsoft owns it and they turn on telemetry by default. Right. And all the people in Linux who are trying to get away from telemetry, I don't think everybody realizes how much telemetry they are turning on by default when you install it. And yes, VS Codium is the answer to that. But we saw something happen in the Google world with the Chrome browsers where... Chrome was open source, it was run by Google, mm -hmm. the Chrome engine, and then they decided to start turning off certain APIs to make it really difficult for the other browsers that were based on Chrome to do some of the basic things, like I think it was like, what, syncing or something yeah, like that? Yeah, Chromium, yeah. Yeah, Chromium, they, they took off some APIs for mm -hmm. syncing and like two other things, I think, and it, it created a, there was even an issue with being able to log in with certain types of, of applications because the, you needed to use their APIs to get access to it. Uh, and you had to get like these API keys that were uh, licensed or whatever in order to use this functionality. And they used to make it where anybody could get those keys. And then they broke it and said, well, you have to you know, meet our requirements in order to do it, which made some issues for sure. So I think that there is a potential that, you know, maybe VS Codium in the future could have that kind of issue with VS Code. So, you know, putting all of our uh, biscuits in a basket, I know that's not the actual phrase, but I like to say that because I said it one time <laughs> wrong months ago and I'm just Biscuits yeah. in a Whatever. basket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're just gonna, we're going to go with it. That's yeah. how it is. And like biscuits. <laughs> biscuits are awesome. So <laughs> the... The doing all of that has a problematic uh, effect. We've already seen with Google's Chromium and Chrome, and this could possibly with VS Code and VS Codium. And also, it's worth mentioning that because VS Code slash Codium is dependent on Chromium with a uh, you know Electron, mm -hmm. Google has an impact with these kinds of editors as well. So I think. Oh, that that's interesting. I didn't yeah. think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we have like basically two different sides of giving more power to these different organizations that already have a significant amount of power. The problem is, is that VS Code is pretty nice in a lot of ways. Now, it's yeah. not sublime text, obviously, but it's still <laughs> pretty nice. And yeah, honestly, now that Microsoft owns GitHub, VS Code has really become their IDE of choice to use with GitHub. So I think that's why they're deprecating Atom, which I'm sad about because I loved Atom. And Atom was was started before Microsoft even took over GitHub. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Atom is the is the foundation of how Electron became to existence. Yeah. So yeah they exactly. created Atom and then they, they thought, oh. oh, we could make something better as well. So they made Electron from it. And then they, I mean, Electron became even more useful than Atom in terms of like how many things are based on it. It's, you know, not surprising that Microsoft was going to sunset Atom, especially with their reasoning for behind it was essentially 
oh, no one's working on it. You, yeah, you bought it. That's why no one's working on it. Like, if, <laughs> well, if you don't work on it, what do you expect to happen? It is interesting because I, I want to read what the CEO of Adam said four years ago. He said, Adam is a fan when Microsoft bought them and he was addressing the community. Is a fantastic editor with a healthy community, adoring fans, excellent design, promising foray into real-time collaboration. At Microsoft, we already use every editor from Atom to VS Code to Sublime to Vim, and we want developers to use any editor they prefer with GitHub. So we will continue to develop and support both Atom and VS Code going forward. So that was four years ago. Now we know that companies always keep their merger promises, always. <laughs> Like that's, always, that's a given. Like they're always gonna. It's always a this job growth a potential. Shocker. Nobody will lose their jobs. Everything will stay normal. Um, but recently, the recent announcement was: while the goal of growing the software creator community remains, we decided to retire Adam in order to further our commitment to bringing fast, reliable software development to the cloud via Visual Studio Code and GitHub Code Spaces. So, yes, it could be forked though, because it was open source. Somebody could take yeah. Adam and basically revive it in the community. And I guess that's what I'm kind of wanting to push here in a way, because when you look at the other options. I mean, if somebody's going to use Vim, Vim's awesome. It's very powerful, but it's a very specific user. You're not going to see in intro classes in mass teaching Python, people are going to be like, okay, open your Vim editor when there's something like Visual Studio Code. And, and then you got Nano and Gedit and Sublime even, and yeah. PyCharm and all of these different things. But we don't have a visually beautiful editor like Visual Studio Code that has some features with its extensions, the community behind the extensions is, is insane. They're just building so many extensions available to work on all kinds of different code, including even doing some database administration through SQL servers right through Visual Studio Code. And of course, its integration with Git, making it a very powerful tool and why you see so many developers going to it. And I'm not saying don't use it. I'm just saying it's kind of a issue here that we have so many editors but none of them are even closer on the level. And I think when one product, even if this was Sublime Text we were talking about taking 80% of the market, it starts to get scary of the control and standardizations sure. that they get to set by owning that. Yeah. Again, like, like you and Michael were saying, it's a good thing we have a lot of options out there. Like you were saying, uh, Ryan, we still have Vim and Emacs and Joe and Nano and Gedit, or you can use NetBeans, PyCharm, Genie, IntelliJ, and of course, Sublime. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I wonder which one I mean, Michael likes. Uh, well, I'm, I'm for those who have not figured that out, I, I, I have a little bit of a preference for Sublime text. Just, and you're worse <laughs> than those arch people out there, I swear. <laughs> well, the thing is, I do think Adam has a lot of uh, great features. And I also, and to be clear, one of the reasons I give a little bit of a hard time for Adam is because it feels like it cl was cloned from Sublime Text. But that's also a fantastic thing for if this was forked, you would have something like um, you know, Sublime Text in an open source approach. Now, Sublime Text, like Ryan said, is proprietary, but everything that kind of like relates to the core philosophies of open source are met except for the code being accessible. So you can extend it if you want to. There's tons of plugins. You can customize it and all that stuff. But unfortunately, there is a, that one factor that is proprietary. Now, my opinion is that if something's proprietary, but it's also fantastic, then I'm kind of okay with it as long as they make it available for my operating system that I want to use. And mm -hmm. since Sublime does that, 
That's why I use Sublime. But Adam being forked would be an ideal situation because uh, actually the ideal situation is for Microsoft to just let someone take over the Atom project, but they're probably not going to do that. So at least someone forking it would be a fantastic uh, outcome because we'd still have that option for people who want to use VS Code somewhat, but don't actually want to use the VS Code or VS Codium base. And I think that would be great. But for me, I like Sublime Text for a lot of the functionality it has, but I also love the fact that it's very, uh, you know, resource light. Very basic. Yeah. yeah. And that's not for everybody, though. I wouldn't I mean, say basic. It's super powerful. But you have to flexible. learn how to use it. Yes. It's basic in that way. It's yeah. like if you're going to learn Sublime Text, you could learn probably Vim, too. Although Sublime looks a little better than Vim. I mean, this, it's a little the better. same concept yeah. of you got more extensions and things in Sublime. But really, when I oh, think huh. about the open source having something comparable to Visual Studio Code that's not controlled by a big giant corporation like Microsoft, there's really nothing but Atom as far as the looks of it and the capabilities that, that I could think of, even in all these lists that you gave, Jill. Now, I know PyCharm or IntelliJ, mm -hmm. who creates PyCharm, is working on a more integrated, all-inclusive, because kind of how they work is they create like PyCharm for Python, and then they've got another one for this language. They've got all these yeah. different IDEs, and they're trying to create an IDE to combine all of that. And I think that could be very cool. That could be very promising. Very powerful. What they're yeah. going to create there, but that's not out yet. So there's some hope in that front, uh, maybe coming from IntelliJ. But otherwise, we don't really have something comparable to it. Um, VS Codium, of course, would be your best option because the difference mm -hmm. between VS Code and VS Codium is they just strip out all the telemetry stuff, which is pretty cool. The best outcome that we could ask for is Adam being forked and a new project being taken over. But I do think that there's a lot of other editors we should talk about, like Genie and Kate. Those yeah. are great editors. And I think Kate is very powerful and they've been making a lot of improvements to the yeah, latest okay. versions. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're good. Kate is good. It has a lot of plugins and improvements and stuff. And also G-Edit is an interesting... One of my favorites. Yeah, it's really interesting because by default, it basically does nothing, but there's tons of plugins. <laughs> that's that's to, amazing. I love it. Well, Sign me up. It does <laughs> you can do Python with well, it, and it, and it has is, console access, which is really yeah. nice. So G-Edit by default is kind of like a, a simple notepad approach, but then you can turn it into a text editor with all the plugins and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's why I wasn't Man, saying your nothing. sales it, pitch for that is just like... <laughs> I cannot wait to get into G-Edit and do nothing. Okay. Aww. So for those who developed G-Edit, I didn't mean nothing. I Aww. meant that it was simplistic, and then you could convert it into more. Just <laughs> give me what a I hard meant. time. Well, I know what you meant. My favorite text editor of all time, the, the others we are talking about cannot do this. They cannot play videos in ASCII art. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> the Vim plugin. You can't play videos. I mean, I stand in corrected. In AALive. <laughs> Vim, Vim is the takes way to go. over automatically from the Vim is yes. awesome, but I think it's, a, <laughs> you know, like we talked about, it is a very specialty group of people who are going to use Vim. Again, take my college thing, new student. We want as many people using Linux and open source as possible. They look over and see somebody using, uh, what is it, HJKL to navigate, or they look over at VS Code and they see somebody just clicking and dragging what they need, uh, I think they're going to go with the VS Code option. Well, I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> they clearly have. So sure. there True. you go. But, yeah. but what about the same scenario? Let's take that same college scenario and say, you know, we, we got to answer this really important question. What if that one person looks over to their left and they see Vim? 
and they look over to the right and they see Emacs. Which choice do they yes, make? Yes, there we go. Oh, that's easy. Vim. Vim is way Aww, superior like, to Emacs. Oh, we can't forget about Vi. <laughs> Before well, Vim. <laughs> yes, I can. Sure. Sure. You, yes, you can. For sure. <laughs> I, just, I just forgot about it. You know, well, speaking of old archaic things, uh, Internet Explorer <laughs> also died recently. Yeah, How do you like that transition? Actually, Michael? awesome you. Thank you. Beautiful transition. I will not I get it. hate mail for that. No way. Yeah. No way will I get hate mail for that. Internet Explorer is <laughs> gone. I mean, what do we do? Can we fork it? No. No. Oh. <laughs> it's close. Darn. Uh, we, 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 unfortunately, IE has been sunset just like Adam. And everybody's Microsoft's be so becoming sad. Google. They're just killing everything off. Killing now. everything. I mean, it took them 26 years to kill IE, but you know, it's still. When I think about IE, <laughs> it's nostalgia for me. I remember going to so many relatives' homes, opening up yeah. their Internet Explorer when they're saying something's wrong with my computer or whatever, it stopped working, it's slowing down, opening up their Internet Explorer on their desktop and seeing 800 different toolbars, ads, <laughs> and pop-ups immediately just swarm the system. Like yep. And these moments, I won't be able to experience with things like Firefox and stuff that are more secure. I loved the ability to look like a rock star fixing their machine by wiping it entirely because God knows how many viruses they had. All that malware. <laughs> and rebuilding oh, yeah. it all. Like those to me are the moments we will never get back. This generation will understand. How <laughs> never know what we there went is, through. <laughs> there is good news, Ryan. We actually made money off of the issues of Internet true. Exploder. See? That's Internet true. Exploder. <laughs> Yes, that's what I used to call it. Man, I'm going to miss yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so the the thing that you're talking about, the toolbars, and that, that reminds me of a story that I had when I was doing uh, tech support. I went to a company and they had this really big issue with all of their uh, computers being, you know, have a virus and whatnot. But they had a network a system where you would think that the, you know, back in the day, this was very common, but it, it gets more and more now where they have a server that contains everything. And then they have these, you know, clients that are called dummy clients that basically do nothing. This was a weird broken hybrid where they did that, but they also didn't do that. So each individual computer was still its own computer that they could still, the employees could modify and customize however they wanted to. And then that would send data back to the server, which would then serve data back to the other users, which is not a good solution when you're, trying to eliminate hassle when you're because that's just tripling your hassle. So when I got there and saw what the issue was, it made me laugh because I was I was digging for like an hour trying to figure out what was going on because there was no signs. And I went mm -hmm. to one employee's computer and saw a ton of toolbars that were all like coupon toolbars. <laughs> so we that had to like thing. essentially revert backups and everything and wipe all the stuff that they did to get it back to normal. And then I can't, and, and like three months later, they were like, hey, the, our, this happened again. Like, what do you mean it's happened again? Oh, we have a, we have more viruses and stuff on it. We need you to come fix it. So I go back and the exact same employee did the exact same thing with the coupon toolbars and stuff. Need those mad savings, <laughs> man. Right? When I asked them, why are you doing this again? And they said, well, because I'm not being paid enough to not do it. Like, well, you're probably not going to be paid anymore at all because you keep crashing their servers. 
Yeah. What an interesting excuse. <laughs> One of the things that I was always annoyed about is it would it took a long time before I could see my animated GIFs on my website, my first website from 1992 with Internet Exploder, you know, a task that was easily accomplished with Netscape in the early 90s. <laughs> took a long time. And then I had to install those ActiveX plugins that were full of, of leaks and security <laughs> issues. I mean, that was the joy of using it. Like you, yeah. it was like Russian roulette. You never knew what was yeah. going to happen when you installed Internet Explorer. <laughs> it was actually my favorite browser to use when I first got a new computer and needed to get Firefox downloaded. It was amazing yeah. at downloading yeah. Firefox. It did Perfect a great job. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, best, the best downloader for Firefox ever <laughs> Or made. Netscape back in the yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, farewell, <laughs> Internet Explorer. We're going to miss you. We're going to miss yeah. you so terribly bad. All the money you gave us for breaking constantly. So constantly. farewell. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what's never going to go away in popularity? What people will be talking about 10 years full of joy and happiness because of all of the protection and security it provided them? I don't know where this is going at all. What could that be? Bitwarden. Oh, Bitwarden. okay. Great. Exact. Completely agree. This yes. episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. A password manager is software allows you to have peace of mind knowing your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and now usernames for you and even automatically fill in the passwords in the login forms so you don't have to. You can access your data across all kinds of different devices. You can have your passwords with you in your web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, even the command line for you Vim users out there. You've got Bitwarden in the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your device, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. And now it comes with Firefox Relay support. So if you want to create some accounts on these websites and you want an alias email address, you can use Firefox Relay and Bitwarden has support with that built in. They're constantly adding new things. And the amazing thing is it's still the same price. You can get started for free or you can get a $10 premium account, $10 per year, not month. It's worth $10 a month. It's just $10 per year here. And you get a gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator and Priority Customer Support. You get all this for less than a dollar per month. Go to Bitwarden dot com slash tux right now to get started and we want to thank bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of destination linux i've been using canine mail for a very long time and there's been some news related to canine mail and thunderbird that came out this week that we want to talk about but before we get to that one of the cool things that happened with thunderbird is that jason evangelo a former member of the network is now working with thunderbird as their marketing manager so i think that's a really good mm -hmm. choice and good luck to jason evangelo for you know what he's working on with Thunderbird, and I look forward to how he's going to help them. I mean, he already has. Too. Like Jason's not only a good choice, yeah. like a fantastic choice. This dude can market. Like he was on Twitter blowing up stuff about Thunderbird almost immediately upon taking the position. It was a really good choice for them. I think that's going to be really cool to see what he can do, bring some attention to this project. But this was one of when I noticed Jason took this over and was talking to the community, this is one of the most requested things was, can we get something on mobile? I mean, I think people have been asking that for a long time because the desktop email, there's a small market for that, I think, and it's kind of starting to dwindle more and more as cloud services pick up. I've been using K9 Mail for years, 
And I've always wondered why Thunderbird didn't have a mail client on Android or on any phone device. And I, I, it makes sense because it's a lot of transitioning for the technology between, you know, going from the desktop, going to Android. I, I get that. Uh, but this is really interesting for a couple of reasons. One, K9 is already fantastic. Thunderbird has been a, gro- a go-to great email Staple. client for yeah. a long time. And having those two bring like, come together brings a lot of cool possibilities with the expertise on mobile with the developers for K9 and also the developers from Thunderbird for the desktop stuff. There could be there. This is a really cool news. And a lot of people might be worried about like, you know, sometimes you hear these acquisitions and you're like, Oh, this is going to be, you know, what's going to happen. We don't know. It could be a problem or whatever. I don't really think this is going to be an issue whatsoever. This sounds like a good mix because they both have the same philosophy as the open source approach. And I I think this is just going to be fantastic overall. Yeah, I was really um, very excited to hear this news because when they made the announcement that there was going to be a mobile version, I'm like, well, I'm already using K9 Mail and I'm not sure if I'm going to switch to Thunderbird. So now I don't have to make that decision. (laughs) They're just going to be both integrated. Be awesome. I also like the the fact that they brought in some information about their roadmap that they're planning on improving K9 and Thunderbird. And there's a lot yeah. of cool stuff that they've talked about, but the biggest one that I'm excited about is the syncing between mm-hmm. mobile and desktop Thunderbird. Yeah. That is a incredibly important thing because I have different accounts on my phone and different accounts on my desktop because I just didn't want to go through the process of logging them all in. And if I could do it on one and have it sync to the other one, that would be just perfect. That's uh, So I, I can't wait for that to come out. So what would you both want from a new Thunderbird version now that it's going mobile? Like, what are some features? I leave everything default and I just <laughs> sign into the DL accounts and that's my use of Thunderbird. But for people who don't leave everything default like me, what are some things you would want to see in Thunderbird now that they're kind of getting some attention back on this project, Michael? Well, first thing, with the phone, I really hope that this transition from K9 to Thunderbird means I don't have to redo everything. So I can, it'll just change as I get a regular update. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's going to happen. That's not necessarily a new feature. I just want to make sure I don't have to do that again. But, you know, just put Selfish. that out there. A little bit. <laughs> but on the desktop, I am... That's one thing I've been wanting for a long time, and that's Quick Reply. There is a plugin for it, but I'd rather be built into the to Thunderbird itself because it's a kind of a staple of email clients these days. So hopefully that's sometime soon. And but the I think the the combination of having someone who's working on a smaller interface and having to make sure the the user experience is as best as possible, also working with the desktop team can help improve the UI there too. And I think that one of the things as far as UI goes of desktop or the desktop version of Thunderbird would be the scaling. Like I don't think it has any scaling unless yeah. you kind of force it on the system. Yeah. Yeah. So Definitely. And um, I'm with with you, Michael. Uh, Scaling for me is important so I can actually see the application on my Ultra HD screens. That's interesting (laughs) because it's not only something for, I mean, it's an accessibility issue at that point, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And um, if I run Thunderbird on my 4K monitors, I have to use a, a zoom magnifier. Mm. Because the text isn't big enough. Yeah. yeah. And so that's actually my number one ask uh, for Thunderbird. The other one is a complete dark mode. Uh, oh, the emails yeah. are still white. So the whole interface is not dark yet when you when you use dark mode. 
high DPI, dark mode, the quick reply. I love that one too. <laughs> that one yeah. would be awesome. So yeah. you'd have to do use that as a plugin. So Ryan, what what is on your wish list for Thunderbird? I mean, I think they're going to need to get to iOS pretty quickly, and I hope they're able to with the K9 mail integration stuff. So that would be one thing I would want to see them add. They're just talking about Android right now. I think it's a great place to start, but I think you know iOS mm, has captured a massive definitely. amount of the market. And if you want to bring as many clients as possible, you're going to need that iOS option across all devices. You're going to need options across all devices. Um, yeah. Calendar integration as well. Email clients are just not enough anymore. I mean, if you look at ProtonMail, you look at Tutanota, you look at all of these services, they're having to offer more than just email. They're having to offer things like calendar and drive storage and other stuff to really attract people. And I think this is also an opportunity for Thunderbird to potentially monetize some things here. If you oh, yeah. were able to create those types of services, I mean, Proton has some things with uh, Proton Drive and of course the calendar integration and stuff, but a lot of it feels very beta. It's poorly baked, honestly. And I love Proton Mail, but these other features they add on are really poorly baked in. Tuda Nota is the same way. A lot of their add-on features are just kind of poorly baked. I think with the Power Canine and Thunderbird together, they could create some of these features and integrations that would just really be magnificent. Like they could create a really powerful workflow and UI with it and maybe not take as long as it's taken Proton and others to start launching some of these additional services. I think that's the way to go for them. It would be a great way to bring in some additional funds to a project that personally I would love to continue to support. Yeah, absolutely. And mm -hmm. especially with the suite approach, if Thunderbird had a suite that you know you had the email and the calendar and on the drive and all the stuff that you're talking about, that would be something that a lot of people would love to pay for. I know I would love to pay for that because I've I've tried to find solutions for it for what I need. And unfortunately, ProtonMail doesn't actually have all of what I need. And it's mostly because of their limitations are too low because uh, I have like 40 different emails that I have to pay attention to. And I would like to not have to, you know, have <laughs> multiple different applications to be able to deal with that. And if Thunderbird were able to, you know, have a new approach to a suite that allows you to have all the benefits of the open source factor, but also be able to pay for the services and stuff like that, I would love that. And also the idea that it has the syncing across different devices, they could have, you know, more features that similar to how Mozilla has it and combine those things like, like Firefox Relay being combined with Thunderbird and stuff like that with the suite would be really, really cool. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with K9 and Thunderbird. I am a little bit kind of worried about how long it's going to take because they did mention that there's like a, a new big release that's coming out next year. And I was hoping a little bit faster. But the next version that's coming out in like a month or so does look like it has a lot of improvements overall into the visuals and to the functionality. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I think without this, you wouldn't see Thunderbird really lasting a long time from now. Like there's just going to be a point where it would have just become irrelevant. And we're kind of close to that point now. Um, there are still needs for desktop email, but it's fading. So I think this is the perfect move for them to stay relevant. It's, it's a brilliant move to mm -hmm. consolidate. But to Michael's point, they're going to need to move pretty quickly on this, I think, to catch up and, and capture the market. And I do hope they find ways to monetize, to bring money in, because that's the big answer. You've got to have money coming in in order to produce all this cool stuff. People aren't just going to sit around and produce all this for free. So um, at, at the scale that it's needed to compete with things like Proton and stuff. Somebody asked in the chat what I use for mobile email for now. I just use Proton. 
uh, and Tutanota uh, both. Mm -hmm. But when I need something from one of our accounts that I don't have connected, like one of the DL accounts, I have this thing called Michael AI. What I do is <laughs> I call up this Michael AI and I said, hey, you know that email you wanted me to read? Can you send it to my Proton account? And then it sends it and then I can read it in Proton. It's amazing. Uh, it's really it's, good it's, service. It's definitely very useful to Ryan. Not yeah. necessarily me, because unfortunately the Michael AI requires physical Michael to do it, but uh, th <laughs> there is a benefit to Ryan there. But as far as like, it's it's kind of interesting how you talk about how they Thunderburn might be in a way that they need to push forward faster because they, they might, they're losing market share already. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't use Thunderbird on my desktop because of the issues we talked about with the click reply and the dark mode, like Jill mentioned, mm. and the scaling. The scaling was the biggest factor. And so I use something else, which is Mailspring, that allows me to have those things. It doesn't do everything that Thunderbird can do because the Thunderbird is more powerful than Mailspring, but Mailspring allows me to have you know more of a con convenient and better experience overall and like the visuals. And as long as it has the fundamentals, then uh, it doesn't matter if it has all the extra power. So Thunderbird is just missing a couple of the fundamentals. And if, if it had that, then it would be a completely different game changer. And uh, hopefully that is something that they're working on. And I know that they talked about making a new UI and UX complete redesign. And I'm looking forward to seeing that. Hey, we have, we have an insider now. We could be like, hey, Jason, get this feature to the <laughs> yeah. top. Yeah, exactly. Gaming on Linux has never been better, and it keeps getting even sweeter. Yay, Steam Deck. <laughs> With the pink case, of course, Jill. Yes. I noticed the pink case you have on your Steam Deck. I just got a pink case a couple days ago. <laughs> Did you not want to use it until you got your pink case? Was it like oh, you know, no, you're no, kind no. of avoiding it? I was uh, I I've been using it a lot actually I've been playing a lot a lot of Trackmania on it. <laughs> Are you noticing you're getting higher scores now with the pink case? Out of curiosity. Uh, no. Come on, I'm trying to help. You <laughs> case, help me help you. I just wanted something unique so that when we're okay. at scale, we can des we can differentiate from all the different Steam decks that are going to be there from the developers like That's Lucas true. and yep. Ryan and hopefully yep. Michael because <laughs> everyone else's will be black, but mine's going to be pretty pink. Yeah, Mine's going to be, I'm going to get my own case and it's going to be differentiated as well uh, eventually, but not for scale because I still don't have a Steam deck and probably will not get it for another, another couple months. Sad. Sorry, Michael. Sad times. What's awesome this week is that Valve announced the latest version of Proton, Proton 7.0.3. And now there's a whole new list of games that are playable on Proton, including Age of Chivalry, Beneath a Steel Sky, Cities XXL, MechWarrior Online. And yeah. actually, this is huge for the MechWarrior fans and is free to play. And cool. one of my favorite games from 1999, Star Wars Episode, episode One Racer. Woohoo! That was a lot of fun to play, and yeah. I spent a lot of hours on that one. So I, I saw V so Rising happy. here, and I think that's a really popular <laughs> like vampire game that's just come out. Uh, as yeah, well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and they also have like a bunch of stuff, like improvements mm -hmm. in Street Fighter. They they make the models look weird. Have you seen the new Street Fighter? I loved Street Fighter back in the day, but now their <laughs> legs are like monstrously big when they're fighting and stuff. <laughs> no, Anyways, I, I, I don't mean to go off on that little tangent, but it bugs no, me because I was a big fan of Street Fighter back in the day. And yeah, yeah, they fixed the Resident Evil Revelations 2 not starting on the Steam Deck. And they fixed the 
a bunch of different games like the text rendering and Rockstar Launcher and steering wheel yeah. detection. Steering wheel, yeah. I just love that Proton just keeps getting better and better. Like they're every mm -hmm. yeah. time they do a new release, there's more compatibility, but there's also tons of fixes for things that maybe a game's compatible, but maybe the animations or something aren't as fluid or the intro videos don't work, but those things are constantly getting fixed. And so literally the experience just gets better every time. I just love it. Yeah. Proton is basically magic. Take it is, a, it a, is a game from a different platform and makes it work on your platform that well, the, the most important platform, obviously. Yeah. And having that just being so easy to just say, okay, use Proton, click play, and then it does. Like, that's crazy. I remember back in the day where we had to do all these different configuration files and change the different, like, INI files and all this other stuff to get things to work. And, like, that was even, you even had to do that on Windows a lot of the time still. Yeah. But having to just click play on, on Proton is just... Brilliant. So cool. And because it's running through, most of the games are running with uh, Vulkan support, we're getting better frames per second than on Windows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's also something else that's super magical that's released this week, just a couple of days ago. Something that's earth shattering, even. Whoa. N nostalgia galore here. I got talking about. No, no. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that's not what the, what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that there is a new game that has been released this week for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <gasps> Shredder's Revenge. Shredders. Nice. Right? <laughs> and so basically, this reunites Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael as they raise some shell in a modern yet classic <laughs> beat-em-up game. Raise some shell. <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> and so this is really cool because I, uh, as a nostalgia thing, this is very similar to an older game that was in like the 90s where you could go play in an arcade and then eventually they had it in handheld and they had it in like NES or something like that. Yeah. And I played this all the time. I love the Ninja Turtles beat em up game. It was so fun. So good. And it, it made me go back and look at like what get, trying to figure out what game this was based on or specifically, and I couldn't find it. And turns out there's like sixty certain like games of Ninja Turtles back then. Like oh just yeah, tons of lot. them. Yeah, so I yeah. I thought there was only like a few because I had a few, but turns out way more than I could have imagined. So I am so excited about it, and it's currently on discount right now for ten percent off. Now that's not that it's still kind of expensive for a game like this, but for me. I would happily pay the regular price. So right now I get 10% off of $22.49. <laughs> and yes, please, thank you. I mean, Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles, take my money. You didn't even Aww. have to give me a discount. It's just, <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. That was so my jam. Michael, like you, I, I played it. I did play some of the games in the arcade, but not this particular game. Um, I actually played this for the first time uh, Friday night on my Steam Deck, and I'm nice. loving it. I really nice. like it. I can't. I can't wait to play it with you guys on Monday. Well, during... that's a big reveal. There, yeah, that's, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> a, that's a huge reveal. You just dropped so casually. <laughs> well, we got it. We got to talk about uh, Matt's uh, uh, stream on Monday. His 24-hour right. stream. So that you know. We're going to ramp it up here, Jill. We're going to get a little more <laughs> excited, people excited about what's happening tomorrow. So there is a 24-hour stream for Cure, Citizens United, and Research and Epilepsy that Matt is doing. So you need to set your calendars to come watch Matt game for 24 hours. And if you're able to, donate 
and help raise money for this very important cause that personally affects Matt's uh, family members as well. So it's very personal to him uh, to do this. But Matt does amazing with these charity streams, and we've just had so much amazing support from the community when we do these. But Michael, Jill, and myself will also be joining Matt at around 9 p.m. Eastern-ish. Somewhere around there. You got to be tuned in. But somewhere around there, we're going to jump in and we're all going to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But here's the thing that bugs me, Michael. I got the game the same time day Jill did, but I decided not to play it because I thought we were all going to experience it. That's what I did. And be noobs. But Jill is over here jumping the gun (laughs) so that she could be better than us and show us up on the charity stream. It's her charity, Jill. You don't have to be so competitive all the time. Goodness. (laughs) Well, one of the things I was impressed with this game is that the turtle voice actors from the 1987 series actually play the roles. I thought that was really cool. That is awesome. awesome. This is one of the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games I think I've ever played. (laughs) It really is. I'm looking forward to it. It's also got up to six players on online co-op, which is really cool. Yeah. I, I can't wait to play this. Uh, I mean, I did wait, unlike Jill, but I can't wait to play this game. <laughs> She's like, why are you guys so bad at this game? But we, we know oh, now Jill's no. been playing nonstop. <laughs> but, I wanted to get better at the controls. Because the one thing, I, I never played a lot of fighting games when I was younger. So Of course not. I figured yeah. you played like <laughs> hugging games and no. games where you just give people stuff for free and oh. all that nice stuff. Well, back in the game, in the day in the arcades, I played Cubert, Pac-Man, <laughs> and Pong. You know? I mean, Pac-Man's so I pretty violent. Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, he's re-killing these ghosts. The ghosts already died; they're ghosts, but then he's re-killing them, which is pretty violent. <laughs> but like Michael, this was my favorite thing to do. My parents would take us to the mall. There were arcades in the mall. I know, kids. This is like nostalgia overload. I.e., yeah. malls, arcades, all this stuff. Uh, yeah, but there were these arcades in the mall, which were the greatest things ever as kids. Yes. But, but parents were very irresponsible, I realized, because they would just drop me and my brother off in the arcade with random strangers, and we would just sit there yep. and play games, and they would go shop. It was a different time. It was a different time. Then. You could do that. It was that. a very yeah. different time. And so <laughs> this was the game. You know, if you had your friends hanging out with you on the weekend, and they were staying the night at your house, you needed a game where you could have a bunch of different players because everybody wanted to get involved, this was the game you would pick was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You'd all put your quarters in and you'd mm-hmm. be jamming on it. And it was a more fair arcade too than other arcades because I feel like you got good play time out of this That's game nice. versus other ones. Yeah. So uh, be sure to join us Monday, 9 p.m. U.S. Eastern-ish, somewhere around that period. And uh, we're going to be playing some... We join the whole charity Ninja stream, Turtles. but especially join yeah. them too. Yes, yeah. I just meant specifically for this particular game. Come on, game, Michael, it's for charity. But <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is for yeah. charity. Jeez, Definitely Michael. do that. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I know we're gonna we're all going to say this you know, at the end of the stream when, we, when we're done playing the game, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it now. Cowabunga, people. Cowabunga. Yes. <laughs> all right, in our software spotlight, I'm going to talk about bottles. If you've ever tried to run wine and we talked about, you're talking about trying to find the different INI files and all that sure. stuff and doing the configurations, it could be a little painful. And if you're not an advanced user, it could be a lot painful. We do have cool options like Lutris out there, but if you've not checked it out yet, it's been out for a while, 
Check mm -hmm. out Bottles. Bottles has been around for some time and each version just keeps getting better. It has a really friendly overlay to wine, which makes it much more approachable. It has a dependency manager, community curated one-click installs for software. A lot of people talk about Bottles for using things like Adobe or even the Microsoft software. So a little less on the gaming side and more on the software for desktop or productivity, those type of things. Versioning manager to quickly restore working versions. So if you do do an update and it breaks, kind of like got the ButterFS snapshot to flow back. Flatpak version also available. So it sandboxes, truly sandboxing from the rest of your system, which is pretty cool too from a security standpoint, because you know, if you're using some of these emulators, it can introduce some security vulnerabilities. But if you use the Flatpak version of Bottles, you got it completely sandboxed, which is pretty cool. So check out Bottles. For the tip of the week, and that is a really nice tutorial about how to learn how to use Markdown. Now, Markdown is a fantastic way of doing documentation. So on this show, we often talk about how we do our show and our show notes, and it makes it a lot easier to do really robust uh, documentation with links and with tables and with all sorts of stuff. If you want to do a, a make a text italics, you can just do one uh, asterisk on either side of the text you want in italics. And if you want to make it bold, you do two asterisks on either side. And if you want to make it bold and italics, then that's just three asterisks. And it's very simple approach, but there's a lot more you can do with Markdown. And you're going to have a links in the show notes for specific tutorials about how to do it because there's it's just such a nice way of doing this, you know, something that's seemingly complex. Once you just get the basic syntax, it is incredibly easy and you will want to use this all the time. The reason why I want people yeah. to pay attention to Markdown if you're not using it is the speed and efficiency you're going to have with note taking because you might be thinking, well, the text editor or the thing I take notes with now, I just go up with my mouse and I hit B for bold once I highlight a word or I for italics. But it's kind of similar to why Vim, a lot of people talk about Vim and things being so much faster, is these little shortcuts not having to leave your keyboard, not having to go through Office, Microsoft Office, for instance, and click a bunch of different tabs to get to the setting to change something to a heading, a heading one or a heading two or a heading three, mm -hmm. or add comments or turn something into URL. All of those things that you have to do in a normal text editor actually take more time. And if you're doing something like our show notes are 23 pages a week, then you need something that you can work fast in and you're not stopping to bold this word and do all of that. And that's where Markdown comes in because you're staying with your keyboard and you could do that asterisk thing like Michael talked about to do italics. You never have to leave your keyboard. And if you don't want to see those asterisks for italics, they always have like a preview mode where it removes all the markdown and just shows the code. And it's super easily translatable to HTML. So we could actually take yeah, our show notes so and nice. make them HTML in a single click. That's how transferable it is to HTML. So it's also kind of a starting point, I think, in a lot of ways, if you never want to learn HTML, markdown's kind of like a good starting point to that because a lot of yeah. there's a lot of similarities there we even have a table here as an example to show in our show notes yeah <laughs> that it can be done you can create a table with markdown never leaving your keyboard it's amazing and it has michael and under it it says zork and then ryan genius and then jill adorbs and so we made a simple table so, just to demonstrate i just want to clarify people i made this table specifically to mention it and put it in the show notes and the adorbs part 
That is true. I did put that there. But Ryan <laughs> took it upon himself to change what the other indicators were. I don't know what you're so. talking about. Those, those <laughs> are the default when you start a new table and mark down. Yeah, of course they Automatically fill it out. All right. So in our announcement section, I want to first say happy Father's Day to all the amazing oh. fathers out there teaching your kids open source and Linux. If you're not a father that's teaching open source and Linux, well, Take this year to become a better dad and teach your kids <laughs> open source and Linux. But happy Father's Day, everyone <laughs> out there. That's perfect. And Der Hans also hooked us up with some of the events going on. We have the Open Source Summit North America, June 21st through the 24th in Austin, Texas. We have the 25th Guadec for the GNOME community, in-person or mm -hmm. virtual, July 20th through the 25th. And that's in Guadalajara, Mexico. Thank you, Michael, for putting the phonic spelling of that phonetic. Well done. Well yes, done. Sir. That helps a lot. Thank you, Thank you so much. Uh, we also have Scale, which Michael, Jill, and me will be at in Los Angeles, California, July 28th through the 31st. No yes. matter how much travel costs right now, it's worth uh. it because you get to see Michael, Jill, and me all in one Yay. place. Yay. I mean, Jill was like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it, Joe. We got Nest Yay. with Fedora, which is virtual, August 4th through the 6th. So mark your calendars with that. But June 20th through the 21st is Matt's charity stream. Please go there and support it. If you can't support it financially, just go in there and say hi. Help him stay awake. Troll him for us because he trolls us yeah. so hard all the time. Give him some um, shell. Give him some shell Give while him he's some doing shell. this stream. <laughs> yes. And we will be joining him at 9 p.m., of course, tomorrow to play as well. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening. However you do it, we love your faces. We're here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern live at TuxDigital.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. And we can't wait to see you in the chat. We also have our glorious patrons, which join us in the live stream. We also have them joining in the pre-show and the patron-only post-show that happens every week after the show in our 60,000-square-foot virtual stadium that they can join us and have conversations about anything we talked about in the show or anything else. And they also get unedited versions of the show. So if they are not able to, to join us live, like for those who are watching live right now, you get this benefit right now. But many of you can't make it someday and you still want to get the unedited versions, you can become a patron and get those if you want to do it by going to TuxDigital.com slash contribute. And you get all a bunch of other perks as well. So go to TuxDigital.com slash contribute and click on the patron link for the Destination Linux podcast to get I'm that. I'm going to go do that right now. Woohoo, Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate how you acted that out <laughs> as well. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Also, right now, go to tuxdigital.com slash store where you can get all the great swag that we have. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mm -hmm. mugs, stickers, all sorts of great stuff. So check it out by going to tuxdigital.com slash store. And we have so many amazing shows here on t the Tech Digital Network. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and our virtual Linux user group, Linux Saloon. So everyone, please head to textdigital.com. Subscribe to all these our wonderful shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Woohoo! Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Give them shell. <laughs> Give them shell. <laughs>